actually, as a people, we just want to sit over the summer in the goodness and the greatness of our God, that we worship a good, great God. And man, we just want to sit in that and remember that, that the Psalms is this prayer book of the people of God, has been for millennia, and that as we turn to that, as we pray through the Psalms, we get captured by something of who our God is, not just for us, but for our world, and has been for millennia. Sometimes the Psalms use incredibly beautiful and creative language to try and grasp at this infinite, beautiful, good, holy God. And we've been working through this. We started in our first week just around remembering, looking back over last year, over our lives, of where have been the ways that God has worked and been faithful in the past. That as we remember those things, there's something of faith that comes that we believe that God might do those things again. Then we move to Psalm 24, looking at actually what would it be like to have prayer, not at the periphery, but at the center of what it means to be the people of God. That is, David danced naked in his undies and set up this tabernacle in the middle of Jerusalem. We would be the people who, that is our same posture of prayer. This shameless, just pursuit of God and prayer in our lives. Then Hannah brought this wonderful message from Psalm 33 of that we would trust in God rather than be envious of those around us, those of the world and the ways in which they succeed. And last week, Clint brought the message from Psalm 63 on that we would be a people who are just so hungry for our God. That like one in the desert who just thirsts for water, we would thirst for our God. And this morning, I want to bring a message from a Psalm 135. And again, this thing of that we would taste and see that our God is good. So this morning, if you've got a Bible with you or a phone, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 145 and read along with me. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing in your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them 
their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we come this morning to the psalm, Psalm 145, this is a psalm of David. It's a psalm of praise, really just this extended call to worship. The psalm comes at the end, kind of in the final bookend of the the whole entire psalms. And actually this psalm holds a special place in the lives of the Jewish people. For the Jewish people, they, in the, fir- in the couple of centuries after Jesus, they combined this collection of literature of rabbinic wisdom into what's known as the Talmud. The Talmud is the wisdom of the rabbis to guide the lives, the law, the theology of the Jewish people. And in the Talmud, there are two primary prayers that it's be prayed every day, three times a day. The first is the Shema, which comes from Deuteronomy 6. And it goes, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And it goes on. But this is a prayer that is prayed every day, multiple times a day by the people of God. And the second one is the Ashray, which is Psalm 145. And they add a couple of verses on the end from other Psalms and a verse at the start from, a few, from some Psalms. But... Essentially, Psalm 145 is the psalm that for the Jewish people holds the special place of we pray this multiple times a day. That this psalm throughout the rest of Jewish literature is the most referred to, most referenced, most mentioned psalm. That our psalm this morning is one that sets the lives, the mind, the body, the heart and the soul of the Jewish people each and every day. It is like Psalm 37 that Hannah preached on, an acrostic poem. So it has every kind of frame by each letter of the Jewish alphabet. That it speaks to the praise, the completeness of the praise and worship we are meant to offer our God. There's something of beauty that we can take from the psalm. And I want to start this morning, what we can gain from it by looking at the opening seven verses. Because if you didn't notice, there's a lot of repetition in this mentioning particularly the open seven verses, the same idea, just coming through in multiple ways. So I'm going to read through it again, but I've got kind of it highlighted in the slides that will come up. And the opening verses says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever. Every day I'll praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I'll meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the powerful power of your awesome works, and I'll proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. There's something of the psalm that's calling us with just like this incessant repetition of communicate with your God. 
Pray to your God. Praise your God. Extol your God. Tell your God. Tell others about your God. That there's this call and this prayer and this um, of how we are interact with God. And it's about active communication. That we're to speak, to pray, to interact with our God, to commune with Him. And there's just this in- pray, tell, just constant, celebrate, sing that comes again and again. Hopefully it's clear from the psalm. If this is a psalm that, for the Jewish people, frames their daily life, what would it look like for our lives to be framed around, man, we've got to communicate and just talk to, tell, celebrate, proclaim, extol to our God? What would our lives be look like if they were shaped by this constant praise and worship of our God? Hopefully it's clear from this passage. But I wonder for some of us, if this isn't, for most of us, if this isn't our reality, that this work of prayer feels like work, that prayer can be hard. Like for many of us, we've been in the prayer room this week, and there's been some beautiful encounters of God. But I wonder for many of us, if those times in there or during our weeks where prayer is the last place we want to go, it's a hard place. Maybe when you go to pray alone, there's this I find this, there's this tendency to like, what's the distraction I can pull in? Pick up my phone and suddenly it's like, oh, my prayer time has suddenly been diminished. The things of the life, very easily I'm willing to let crowd in my prayer life. There's something of prayer that feels hard. I wonder for some of us if it's like not just praying alone but praying with others. The psalm says, man, we're to extol, to tell, to proclaim, but the idea of getting in a room with others and praying a prayer out loud is like, oh, I'm not going there. I'm not going to, like, there's something vulnerable, there's something risky, there's something hard about that. And let alone the concept of what would it mean to pray for someone. Like, mate, that's a risk. Praying alone's hard, man. Vocalizing prayers with others is hard. Don't ask me to pray for someone. There's this sense that prayer can feel like this real risk. And I was catching up with a friend this week who works in a role overseeing young adults ministry in Canterbury in New Zealand and just reflecting on what's the, some common themes that we're seeing in that age group. And I think these are maybe common across multiple age groups. But her comment was this noticing that in teenagers and young adults, this intense aversion to any form of risk like I will do anything to avoid risk and I know for many of us we've been through these past few years been through situations that it's been appropriate to manage risk in specific situations but feeling like actually it's become this anxiety that's been put across all areas of our lives if it's I have to minimize and avoid risk at all costs And the thing about prayer is it can feel risky. Like even thinking in different contexts, socially, it's very easy for us and our social interactions, our friendships, the people we call in to be part of our community, to stick to people of the same type, the same ethnicity, the same age, the same socioeconomic status, because we're minimizing risk. I'm going to have a conversation, and this is the least, if they're my age, my gender, socioeconomic, ethnic, 
we're probably going to have something in common. Mate, it's risky to like lay those things aside and have a conversation where it's like, we might not have anything in common. I know with pop culture, there's this wrestle at the moment of like this complete aversion to risk. That for many of us in the external world, when life feels risky, we retreat to entertainment. Retreat to movies, to TVs, to books as a way of, it's risky to go and act in the world, so I will live out these other stories. And increasingly, they're stories that, and characters that we already know. That generations past would be, I'll pick up this book, I don't know who the author is, I don't know what it's about, but there might be something to find in there. But increasingly, like you know this, the movies that do well, the books that sell well, are the ones that you know what's going to happen. You know the characters well, you know where it's going to go. In the past, maybe the stories would tell of vulnerable protagonists, vulnerable characters who don't even know what's going to happen, who's going to survive, who's going to make it out. Now we tell these stories of superheroes that we know are going to be good. Not just because they're superheroes, but we know there's a movie schedule for next year that they're going to be in. This, like, like imagine, I know for me, it's the idea of going to, I know there's one video store left in Christchurch, going to that video store, picking out a movie, you don't know the actors, you don't know what it's about, you don't know the reviews. Like, let, don't even think about going and doing something risky out in the world. Imagine watching a movie where you don't know what's going to happen. Like, even that extent of, like, this avoidance of risk, right? That our lives are orientated of, like, how can I get the comfortable and the known? I know things are going to go. I know how the story's going to end. I know the steps along the way. The familiar is easy. And I think it can be so easy to do this in our spiritual formation as well. Our spiritual formation becomes around managing risk. What are the practices, what are the ways of doing these practices that minimize risk? And actually reflect this woman who I caught up with around young, young adults reflecting a real unwillingness and resistance of young adults in our city to engage with spiritual practices that involve some form of risk. The idea of praying for someone, for speaking a word over someone, for maybe sharing the good news like, that is a practice, that is high risk, I'm not entering in. And you can imagine then what a risk prayer is, or could be, or feels like it is. That in prayer we're becoming before the creator of all things, who is high and mighty and powerful, and we're standing in his presence and daring to speak. What a risk. You can't it's not like putting on the movie, putting on the song that you've heard a million times. You can't control the outcome, how you're going to feel, how it's going to go. You can't control your interaction with the eternal holy God. There's a sense of prayer is risky. That maybe he might do something that's out of your control. Or maybe this, he just won't meet you like you wanted. You may coming out, come out with a feeling of disappointment that we can then replace these with what scripture calls idols, idolatry. 
And the Psalms even speak of this. Psalm 135 says this, the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them and so all will trust in them. That like human beings have always done this. There's this eternal, wonderful, magnificent, holy God but I don't know if he's going to do what I want him to do so I'm going to go to this other thing where I feel like I can control the outcome. I can maybe get what I want. It's made of human hands. It's made in my image, which is probably a good thing because then it knows what I want. Historically, like, this looked like sacrificing to a specific god so you get rain. I need a male ear, so I'll sacrifice to this fertility god and then hopefully I'll have a baby. You're choosing what it feels like, the low-risk option. But even in Psalm 135, did you see the result? If we could bring the end of that passage, that if we chase after these things, we become like these idols. We cannot speak, we cannot see, we cannot hear. We have no breath. It literally ends with like, if you chase after these say, things that feel like they're safe and you can control them, it leads to death. So I want to invite us this year to participate in prayer that the psalm calls to. Like it might feel hard, it might feel like a risk. But to do this extolling, telling, celebrating, as the psalm starts speaking to God, we don't know what we're going to get as a result, but man, I think the alternative is this death. And this morning, it feels like a bit of a privilege because I get to read through this passage because the invitation is not just to hear these words or even necessarily read them silently, but to literally verbalize them. And this morning, I get to verbalize, to say these words. And the invitation is for you to do the same, to verbalize, to express with your mouth who God is. And as we do so, I think something of our spirit, of our soul changes. Our lives become less orientated about ourselves and we look upon our glorious God. And I just want to work through what this praise looks like. Because it's not just like say these, speak and tell, but the Psalms give us guidance of like, this feels risky, this feels hard. Here are some words, here's some guidance, here's how you can approach our God. So let's move through how David guides us in prayer. And it starts after this extended seven verses of like tell, speak, extol, proclaim, celebrate, sing. And then it moves kind of more into God's character, what we are saying. And it says this, verses eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Doesn't that just like, you can kind of end it, doesn't that verses, if you say those, if you speak those, if they start to get into you, man, reading those, there's just a level of like, ah, just the risk anxiety level starts to just drop. Of like, oh, the God I'm speaking to is gracious, compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. 
that as we proclaim that to God, there's something of us that realizes we can bring our failures, we can bring our emotions, we can bring all of ourselves to God. Of like, oh, I've been taking this stuff to other places, but I've forgotten that my God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. And I think as we start to say these words, even these verses, if you want to bring them back up, sorry, Rachel, if we begin to just con- like continue to pray even just these two verses, something of our lives and our souls feels like, man, we do have a good God. And I can come before him. And I think like a well-attached child, we begin to just trust that we can come before God with what we've got. We don't know how he's going to respond. We can never control that. But man, we can trust that he is good, that he is gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's rich in love. We can bring our failures, everything. We don't know how God's going to respond, but man, we can trust in his character. And we see this through the Psalms of the psalmist, David and the other psalmist, bringing their stuff before God with just the shamelessness and abandon that I know for me, and I wonder for many of us, is hard. I want to bring a few verses. So firstly, the psalmist's ability just to bring their deep pain and sorrow before God. In Psalm 6.6, just this lament of, I am worn out from my groanings. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Just this, God, I am spent. I am done. But I know you are safe and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. I can bring that to you. In Psalm 22, it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Again, the sense of like, man, I am spent. And the place I know is safe to go to express that stuff is to God. I don't know how he's going to respond, but man, I know he is good. And then the other extreme, you get these psalms like of, of just complete anger and rage, which many of us I, will feel incredibly uncomfortable to pray. And Psalm there's multiple of them. I want to read from one of them. Psalm 109 says this, just speaking, cur- the psalmist speaking curses over his enemy, saying, may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars and may they be driven from their ruined homes. I don't know about you, but there's a sense of coming before God of like, I don't know how he's going to respond. I better like get all my act together. What are the acceptable prayers and what are the ones that it's like, oh, not sure about that. And yet we see the psalmist just in anger and rage and wanting vengeance come before God. Just like, God, like, this person is seeking to destroy me. I need your justice. He maybe expresses in ways that aren't helpful, but there's a sense of like, I want to bring that, like, I trust God with that. He is a good God. I may not be able to vocalize my emotions and my feelings in articulate ways, but I know God is compassionate, slow to anger. He's good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. I can bring that stuff to him. There's a sense we can also come to God 
out of this place of man, my God is gracious, he's compassionate, he's slow to anger, he's rich in love. That we can come to prayer also open to what he wants to say to us. Even if it means correction, even if it means calling out stuff in our lives of sin and brokenness and harm that we're doing, and we don't see him as a vengeful, angry God. Like, oh no, but this is a God who's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. Maybe he's doing it, like the Proverbs say, from a place of wanting healing and wholeness and hope. That we can be open to those words of calling us out on our stuff because we know what God's heart is beneath it all. So the invitation again is to pray these words, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Pray them out loud, slow to anger, rich in love, the Lord is good to all, he has compassion on all he's made. And as we do that, there's something of it's not just words we're saying, but our, I think something of our hearts and our souls start to imagine, like, wait, it's almost like you verbally say them and your brain's in the back being like, wait, if this is true, then wait, I can also bring this. I can also receive this. There's something as we pray these psalms, as we vocalize our prayers, that we are opened up to more and more of God. And we not just bring the stuff because God listens, but as the passage continues from verse 10, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Here is this call to remember, this call to say these words of God has this kingdom, this way of operating the world that is good. He is mighty, he is good, he is in charge of all. And as we pray these prayers, as we pray these words, as we verbalize them, again we start to imagine, wait, the stuff I want to bring to God, I'm bringing to a God who has the power and agency to do something about it, to bring change, to bring healing, to bring hope, to see these, this kingdom break in in ways that it has for generations past. Man, this kingdom might be able to break in for me too. Again, we can't control how he's going to do it, when he's going to do it. But man, if we remember these words of like, no, but God does and God can and God will. So the invitation again, man, just pray these words. Speak them out loud. Praise the Lord with your mouth that we proclaim his kingdom. And it continues our passage. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who bow down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. There's this sense of like, in this, this isn't just like a king that has a kingdom. He doesn't just watch from afar, but these verses as we pray them call us to remember, to notice that this is a God who intimately cares for all of his creation. That while it might feel like it at times, our lives aren't ones of 
survival of the fittest, of you've got to hustle to make it, that you've got to beat out other people to get what you want and maybe think you need. But these Psalms, as we pray them, remind us, man, this is a God who cares for all of his creation. He cares for each need. And just what a wonder that is, that he would give his creation food at the proper time. He would satisfy the desires of every living being. What a beautiful thing that is. I've been reading this book over the summer that has just like captured my imagination that I think talks about something of this. It's this book, Gift of Wonder, by Christine Aranu, Aranu Syme. And it's this book around might we have spiritual practices, rhythms, live lives that let us recapture this good God who has a kingdom that is coming that cares intimately for the needs of his people. She frames it around essentially this passage of that we would become like children before our God. She says of this, she says in the book, we suffer often from play deprivation, nature deficit disorder, or depletion, compassion fatigue, imagination suppression, and more. And as a result, I think we suffer from God deprivation too. That the invitation is to proclaim, to speak these words, to tell, to extol, that as we speak of God and his kingdom, something of our imagination and our awe is just sparked. And I think it can just be this incredibly beautiful thing. I had, earlier in the, this week, we had one of our 7 p.m. press lots, and there was two of us. So there's two of us to pray for an hour. But man, it was one of the most powerful prayer experiences I've had in a long time, where we just prayed back and forward. God, you're good because of this. God, you're wonderful, wonderful because of this. God, you're holy because of this. And just for both of us, there was this sense of like, man, as we remembered, as we imagined who God is, something of like just joy and hope and life rose up within us. Of like, oh yeah, man, we've got a good God. Let's proclaim that. Let's speak that. Because something, it's not just about like say the words and just like force it into our brain and our emotions. But there's something of like as we vocalize it, man, we realize what we believe, that what we believe is so wonderful, so beautiful, so joyous. Worthy of such hope. Just like the song says, as we proclaim the name of God, man, the things of our life and this world just seem to fade away as we look on God and his glory. Christine asked this book, asked this question partway through her book around our spiritual disciplines. These practices that we do that sometimes can feel like could feel like this risk management achievement to God. She asked this, what if the goal of our spiritual disciplines was to restore the intense joy and enthusiasm God experienced on the seventh day of creation? That as we're praying these prayers, what we're doing is we're remembering, man, just 
the evil and brokenness in our world that can so easily just, we get caught up and entangled in and we forget just the goodness of our God. As we come and pray and say these words, we remember just this intense joy and enthusiasm, I think, comes. And our passage continues, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. Again, this invitation. Fear might, prayer might feel risky, might feel hard. You can't guarantee the response. But our passage says, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Pray these words, say these words. The Lord is near to all who call on him. As you say that, man, you'll know that. And this, I mean, it has this passage as well. Man, the wicked though, those who ignore God, avoid God, go to other places to meet him, will be destroyed. The invitation is to call on our God. And our passage ends, My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. The invitation I want to give to us this morning is, as you, as like research is showing, prayer among the people of God is decreasing. And I wonder how much of that is linked to the sense of risk. We want a controlled response where we know the outcome, we think we know what we need, and that God needs to meet it in a specific way at a specific time. And to enter into prayer is to risk that. To say, God, you do it how you want, when you want. But the Psalms, as we say these prayers, we proclaim, oh yeah, we can take that risk because our God is a good God. He's a compassionate God. He's a God who's all powerful, can control all, controls all things. Oh, he's not just over, but he's in, caring intimately for each one of his creation. That each one who calls on him, he will respond. So I'll invite us this year, let's take the risk and start praying, praying these prayers verbalizing our prayers verbalizing this praise of God of like God you are good God you are wonderful God you are holy God you are faithful and make that a part of your regular prayer practice praise worship extol celebrate God and man like you experience something of goodness when you do that and I think part of that is as we move to communion this morning that we realize that while prayer encountering the good and holy God that he is actually the one who took the risk. And how good and how joyous that is for us. That our God would come down that he would gather his friends one and one who would betray him and he would gather them and he would say this is my body that I'm going to break 
will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And later in the meal, he took a cup and said, this is my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Each time that you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. The sense that we come before God who took the risk. He couldn't control. He doesn't guarantee. He couldn't guarantee. He chose not to guarantee how would we respond to him. That he would lay down his life not knowing if any of us would choose to receive him and his grace in the midst of that. So that these prayers that we offer come not out of a place of risk, but out of a place of, man, you have taken the risk. You've gone the distance. You've given these words that can guide me in my prayers. He's taken all those steps. Will we respond to him? We pray these prayers of like, man, I worship you, I praise you, I extol you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, I just thank you that you are good, you are holy, you are compassionate, you are slow to anger, you are king and Lord over all, that you are close to us, you do not remain distant, but you come near, that you guide us, that you heal us, Lord. You redeem us, Lord, that when we are stuck in patterns of sin and brokenness, you call us out of that. You convict us, Lord. Lord, we just want to praise you and worship you for all you are and all you have done for us. May we be a people who thanksgiving and praise is quick to our mouths. To you, Lord Jesus. May we give praise and worship to you freely and easily. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.